0: What on earth is going on? This is the Mad Men pregame show from WNYC. I'm Ellen Horn. Over the last few weeks, we've been tailgating with advertising insiders, cultural historians and public radio hosts, reliving the most memorable moments and kicking around the themes and plot moves that kept us hooked season after season. And now it's finally here. We're in the home stretch. it's last call. Where will it all end? But before we get to that, here's where we are right now.
1: Sally, I've learned to believe people when they tell you it's over. I don't want to say it, so it's usually the truth.
0: After watching seven seasons worth of chain smoking, we finally see lung cancer claim a victim, Betty Draper. She breaks the news to Sally, just as you'd expect.
1: These are instructions. Open it the minute you know I'm gone.
0: But what Betty can't say, she writes.
1: Sally, I always worried about you because you marched to the beat of your own drum. But now I know that's good. I know your life will be an adventure. I love you, Mom.
0: (laughs) And where's Don during all this?
2: Well, I'm in Kansas right now.
0: He's stuck in the sunflower state, getting drunk with a bunch of veterans. What's
2: your rank? Where did you serve? 7th Infantry, Korea Rank? Lieutenant Lieutenant! 7th Infantry, Korea Shit! We should be paying him
0: (laughs) Later that night, Don reveals a secret of his own
2: I killed my CO We were under fire Fuel was everywhere And I dropped my lighter And I blew him apart and I got to go home.
0: But later, the vets turn on him and go after Don for stealing their money. The real thief, it turns out, is a hapless young hustler that Don's sort of protecting.
2: I know you think you know how to hustle, but this is a big crime, stealing these people's money. If you keep it, you'll have to become somebody else. it's not what you think it is.
0: Don agrees to drive the kid to the bus stop. Then he gives him his car. Meanwhile, as Don is shedding his old life, Pete is reclaiming his. It starts with an unexpected job offer from Jet. Company car, company
2: plane, signing bonus.
0: But in Pete's mind, it's about a lot more.
2: We're not even through half our lives.
0: And even if we are, we're entitled to more. Of what?
1: Then we're entitled to something new. I want to start over.
0: He asks Trudy to join him.
1: I want you and Tammy to come with me.
0: I want you to relocate to Wichita, pick out a house, and be my wife and family again. And she's in. Where do we go from here? We decided to call one person who might have some insight for us. Ronald D. Moore. If the name doesn't ring any bells, let me tell you that we spoke to him on the phone from the set of Outlander.
2: I'm at our studio in Cumbernauld, Scotland.
0: Where is Cumbernauld, Scotland?
2: Between Edinburgh and Glasgow.
0: Among his many films and TV shows, Ronald D. Moore was the creator and showrunner of Battlestar Galactica.
2: In Battlestar, I I remember making a specific decision early, saying, I don't know how this is going to end. You know, in Battlestar, you had a leg up in that, you know, they're heading for Earth right out of the miniseries. So they're going to this mythical place called Earth. So that's an arrow. And you knew that you were going to have to catch up with that story eventually. Yeah. And, you know, as we got into the last season, then we started talking about what did that mean and how could we subvert the audience's expectations, how could we make it a surprise. I didn't start thinking about the end until the end of the third season. It wasn't until that point where I just sort of felt that we'd reached a tipping point in all the things we had done where it just felt like now you've entered the last act. We had a big board that listed all the plot threads we wanted to tie up, you know, things that had been floating around in the series since, the beginning, okay, we would make choices. We're going to answer all those questions and not that one. We wanted to give each of the characters what's their exit. You know, how does this wrap up the, the big overarching mythology that had been there all along? And it was tricky. You know, it was frustrating. Oh, God, I bet We spent a lot of time talking about the plot in terms of how you broke into the big Cylon base station at the end and how they would get out. And it was a lot of just like arguing about tactics and where the Galactic War would be and where were the Cylons, and it was really frustrating. I remember going home that night and not being happy and feeling kind of depressed because it wasn't joy and you weren't having satisfaction. You were just caught up in all this stuff. And I so wait, wait, the, of,
0: you, you and the other writers, you guys weren't all on the same page. You were all trying to work through all these threads that you'd raised and then we and, were all, and it was a contentious kind of...
2: No, no, no. It was, it was like we weren't making progress. It wasn't contention. It was like we as a group kept trying to resolve this plot and it just wasn't fun. It was just all about plot mechanics, and you kept getting tripped up on, well, but no, we've already done that, or right. Galactica doesn't work that way, and it was just, you were in this, sometimes you get in these writer's rooms, places where you're just going round and round, and you're not really getting to the heart and soul of the episode. You're just caught in this other sort of peripheral argument. So that night, I went home, and I took a shower, and I just remember having this kind of epiphany moment of, like, we're just arguing about the wrong things. You know, this is the finale of Battlestar Galactica. This is about the characters, why aren 't we talking about the characters? So I went in the next morning and I got their head of them, and I literally went to the board and i wrote it 's the characters stupid and underlined it, and everybody <laughs> laughed, and then we just kind of started over. I said, "Forget about this stupid plot we'll, the plot'll figure itself out let 's talk about these characters we 've all loved for these four years, and who what are we saying about them and i said i 've got an image of one of our characters is in a house." with a broom, trying to chase a bird out. A bird has gotten in his house. He's just trying to chase it out with a broom. Let's put that up as a card. I don't know what it means. I don't know who it is, but that's a scene. And then we just started riffing off of that about images and moments and things we could do for the characters. And then we started talking about the structure of going all the way back to the beginning, of seeing the characters just before the opening of the miniseries. Once we kind of got that handle on it, it became fun again. And then it was all about... These, the richness of these characters and telling it in a nonlinear way and how much fun that was going to be and really sort of getting them all to a satisfying place at the end.
0: Do you feel like the, the ending was satisfying for the fans? There was a lot of, there was a strong fan response.
2: It's not always the right choice to give people what they want. Sometimes they want an answer, but if they got it, it would be dissatisfying in a, in a different way. And the most important thing is that I think that you walk away from it as a showrunner feeling satisfied. I think that's that's what you have to carry with you. This is the show you've done for these many years. You've worked hard at it. It's been all on you for all this time to, to carry it every week. This is your moment. Say whatever the fuck you want to say. <laughs> say however you want to say it. And just know that when it's over that you personally feel like you did the best you could. That was the story I chose to tell, and I'm proud of it. And if you can say that, the rest of it, it, it almost doesn't matter.
0: You also worked on some incarnations of Star Trek, and you're responsible for killing off one of your childhood heroes, Captain Kirk.
2: <laughs> yeah, I did. I co-wrote the finale of of Next Generation, and then I was there when we were... I was not one of the writers, but I, I helped work on the, the finale of, of Deep Space Nine as well.
0: How How are movie endings different from... TV endings from series endings?
2: Oh, it's just, you know, it's a shorter journey you've taken with these characters. It's a two-hour journey. And in television, you have watched them for many hours. The audience has gotten to know these characters. They watch them change and evolve. There's lots of stories they remember. There's lots of history and nostalgia. And that's heading you towards a a different kind of an ending than a movie, which is resolving one particular story within a two-hour segment.
0: So... If you had to to end things up, if you were in Matt Weiner's position, where do you think you would drive Don Don's character to?
2: Um, what would
0: his last line be?
2: I think I, I guess I I would take him out of advertising and into something else. Like he would walk away from that world and everything that he had done for that chapter of his life, and he would start new in a new city with probably a new identity. Like, he wouldn't be Don Draper anymore. He would probably start as a new name, a new guy, and a new life, you know, and that he would approach that with the same kind of never-say-die quality that's Don Draper, and still haunted by a lot of the same demons, but it would be in some new city, in some new place, in some completely new concept. And he'd walk in with a lot of confidence with a different briefcase and a pair of sunglasses and present himself as, I'm, I'm Paul.
0: So Ronald D. Moore thinks Don is going to turn into Paul. I don't know. We take a look at where we've come from to figure out where we might end up next.
2: If I leave this place one day, it will not be for more advertising.
0: You're listening to the Mad Men pregame show from WNYC. I'm Ellen Horn.
2: What else is there? I don't know. Life being lived?
0: Ronald D. Moore got me thinking about what happens in the writer's room. So I wanted to talk to a writer who's wrestled with these issues of how to end a season and a series. These days, Carly Mensch is a writer on Orange is the New Black. I asked her, how important is it to please the fans?
1: Yeah, we definitely considered the fans, but there's just so much that goes into coming up with the finale that it's one of many. It's definitely not like the thing you sit down and the conversation flows from. What do the fans need?
0: Take me to that conversation. You've been in in writer's rooms at Weeds, at Nurse Jackie, now at Orange is the New Black. Like, What is that conversation as you're trying to figure out where is this? Char- where is this character going to go? Where is this series going to go? What's happening, and, and how do we get to a conclusion?
1: It's really a conversation about the final season, kind of like what are your final stories, and then where will your characters land. But I feel like the finale conversation is tends to happen at this like hectic point in the season when you're trying to end your season stories, in addition to do this kind of epic, um, masterful series ending.
0: And and Carly, because you you sort of came from like a playwriting background, let's just talk about some of the like classic endings, just classic endings. I'm
1: thinking like Shakespeare, Ibsen, Chekhov. Like- well, Shakespeare always ends in some like group ritual if it's a comedy, right? You've got like a wedding or a, I guess not the tragedies. <laughs> right, Tra-
0: tragedy, there's usually a stage strewn with bodies, but...
1: Yeah, I mean, classic endings tend to be like you know somebody—they're like a big secret is revealed, or someone's killed, or someone is married, someone finds love. Uh, I mean, the problem is there are so many. It's kind of the like the more nuanced endings that are tricky because you're kind of you need to communicate a lot, but you know the tools you're using. You know, it's not Mad Men is not like a show where people are getting killed in their guns and gunfights in the street. This is like. One of those shows that needs to somehow answer some internal conflict within Don Draper that was set up in this, you know, exquisite pilot and that we've been exploring for many years, but can't go, you know, a lot of the questions come down to like, how much does Don change? Like, I think that's kind of what we're looking for, right? It's like, is he still the guy that we met? seven years ago or like how much did this show and the journey that you guys watched him on change him right also the, something that I didn't say which I, I kind of implied was like both times that I've been in a writer's room where we talk about a final season and a finale we've gone back to the pilot to see what promises were made to the audience and just to, uh, like a healthy reminder of what themes were started like exactly where the character started yeah there's a roadmap in a in a good pilot. Let's
0: go back to when we first met Don Draper. 1960, New York City. If Carly's right, then the seeds of the end must be here. We meet a dashing ad man grappling with how to sell cigarettes.
2: But everybody else's tobacco is toasted. No, everybody else's tobacco is poisonous. Lucky Strikes is toasted.
0: He has religion. He has gravitas. He is the master of desire and of grandiose metaphors.
2: What you call love was invented by guys like me to sell nylons.
1: Is that right?
2: Are you sure about it? You're born alone and you die alone, and this world just drops a bunch of rules on top of you to make you forget those facts, but I never forget.
0: In that very first episode, there was no Dick Whitman. There was only Don. We see him winning a new client, department store scion Rachel, and hooking up with Midge, his free-spirit junkie girlfriend, before taking the commuter train back to the burbs to his family, he has secrets. After all,
1: I called the office. They said you'd left.
0: I didn't want to bother
1: you. It's no bother. I just assumed you're staying in the city again. There's a plate in the oven.
0: Remember meeting Peggy for the first time? She was Dawn's new secretary, frumpy and timid, and Pete, all sleaze, showing up at Peggy's doorstep on the eve of his wedding to Trudy. You must think I'm a creep.
1: Why are you here? I wanted to see you tonight.
0: Letting him in was a mistake, and she's tried to move on. Most of these threads have been tied up in ways both surprising and poetic. Don has now ended two marriages, lost his company, walked out of advertising, maybe for good. We all want to believe that change is possible, even for a hustler like Don Draper.
2: I think and have always thought that the series would end with Don's defenestration.
0: I asked some people around the office what they think is next for Don and how they want it all to end. They have me in a place right now I did not expect to be, which is a place of deep curiosity and, like, no idea what's going to happen next. Like, that's where I'm living. It's going to be something about a new career, a new place to live.
1: A beautiful woman comes walking over to him, just his type. She sits down next to him, introduces herself. He introduces himself. But not as Don Draper, not as Dick Whitman, as somebody else.
2: So what I think is going to happen, I think in a classic Shakespearean plot subplot, we're going to see a path for Don and a path for Peggy. I think that he's going to somehow find his bliss. But it also at the same time might end up in his death.
1: Roger, I feel like I'm going to see him
0: sailing away on a yacht with like drinks and women and then he's going to have a heart attack and die.
2: I hope it goes into, like, a really far flash forward of Stan and Peggy's baby. There could be some strange spin-off where, you know, Don's kids become some sort of terrorists or something. Maybe he'll be a farmer. <laughs> or a preacher.
1: I think that Mad Men is going to end with a song. And I think specifically the song is going to be... Ooh, child, things are gonna get easier. Ooh, child, things will get brighter. I'm not ready to say goodbye to Dom. Ooh,
0: child, things are gonna
1: get Okay, so here's what I think.
0: We began on Madison Avenue, but we're gonna end up on the California coast. First, he'll run into his old flame Midge, cleaned up and living in some hippie commune. Or maybe it's Anna Draper's niece. He wants what they represent. Freedom from society, from expectation. I think he'll toy with it, try it on. Dick Whitman the hippie. But it's not him. And in the end, he's not really alone. There's Sally and the boys to consider. He might be falling, but they are like the tether line of a bungee jump, and I think Don will come back to them. And, like some Shakespearean comedy, I think we'll cut to a big wedding, Roger and Marie. Megan's mother, for a brief glimpse at our beloved characters back in New York. It's just a gesture to all the resolutions that are just outside the frame of the series, like Betty's death or Joan's wedding. I'm imagining Peggy's thriving at McCann. She's got a big mainstream account, but her home is empty. And Dawn? In my vision of the last scene, we'll see Dawn loading up a typewriter, staring at a blank page and drinking. And that's it for this edition of the Mad Men pregame show. Our team includes Dan O'Donnell, Amy Eason, James Ramsey, Jenny Lawton, Paula Schumann, Caitlin Thompson, and Irene Trudell. I'm Ellen Horn, watching on Sunday night, prepared to be really pissed if Dawn falls out a window. I mean, come
2: for you.